0: Hello and welcome to the Full Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and in this episode, my special guest is J.J. Van Wiesenbach. J.J. is the one of the lead PGA Tour reps for Titleist, which means that on a week-to-week basis, he's working with golfers like Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Adam Scott and Charlie Hoffman. The list goes on and on, and his main job is to make sure that they have the proper tools and equipment to go out and win golf tournaments. Another big part of his job is to take the feedback that those golfers give him and then take it back to the people who actually design the golf clubs for titles, drivers and irons, etc. And basically be the conduit, the in-between person between some of the best golfers in the world and some of the people who design golf clubs, not only for those great players, but also for players like you and me. So it's a really interesting discussion that we were able to have about what that really pertains to. And of course, we also talked about what it was like for him. Being at TPC Sawgrass, as the COVID-19 pandemic was playing out, basically what, as a world traveler, somebody who puts in a lot of miles, and we get into that, spends a lot of nights in hotels, what was it like for him to basically see the world of sports shut down? Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard, and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body primed for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercise, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at golfforever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So I'd like to welcome to the 4 Press Podcast, JJ Van Wiesenbeek. And JJ has, as many people in his situation as one of those very cool titles that sounds especially noble or, or big, even though um, in many times, like he is one of the most approachable people out on the PGA Tour, has been nothing but helpful for me. He's one of the guys in the title is PJ PGA Tour van. JJ, welcome to the 4 Press. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you, David?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Where are you right now and uh, sort of under these circumstances, what is your current uh deal? What are you guys up to?
1: Uh right now I'm I'm in my home office in Oceanside, California. Um you know, obviously would have uh much preferred to be in San Antonio right now at the Valero, but yeah. you know, such are the times.
0: That such are the times. When when did this and I've talked to a couple people in your position. When did um you realized that the times were going to be a in, as Bob Dylan used to sing, and that, that this was more than just something that was unfortunately going to be hanging around, that this was going to affect the PGA Tour, your job, and it, and it became sort of the real thing, if you will.
1: Yeah, when we were at the players, there was a lot of discussion. Um, you know, Monday, there was some rumblings. Tuesday, things got louder. And then uh, Aaron Dill and myself were were traveling home Wednesday from the players, and that was when the NBA announcement came down. And you kind of felt like that was a big domino of things to come.
0: Mm-hmm. What uh, what official word and sort of if you can, and I realize sometimes that companies are are pretty tight about this, but but what was the communication from Acushnet and from Titleist? I mean, you guys are a company that within North America is is obviously spread out. You have PGA Tour reps and people. Um, who come together every week, but don't necessarily all live in, you know, the towns right next door to each other. You have the main offices in Fairhaven. There's offices that are in Oceanside and in and around the Carlsbad and San Diego area. What what were they telling you and, and how aggressively did they tell everybody, look, stay home, do this? What was the word from the company?
1: You know, uh, I think Dave Marr and, and Brian Lamb and Brendan Reedy and, and our and our leadership teams and Steve Pelisek did a really good job of kind of constant communication and um, really staying in touch with CDC, um, WHO. And we had kind of a a series of changes happening, you know, moving anybody that can be home, home, Mm -hmm. uh, limiting guests, um, getting paperwork of anyone coming in the building, um, letting people be home, and, and obviously those dominoes um, fell fast as, as uh, restrictions went in in California and, and other states, but um, you know they did a lot of things to really make sure that our associates were safe, healthy, and okay uh, throughout the process as well as adhering to um, each government within our different states and regions uh, mm-hmm. rules and regulations.
0: I, I, that's that's great to hear and very encouraging to hear and I think that one of the things that's unique about your job is that you're traveling by and large you know what 35, 38 weeks a year you're on the road how, if you can off the top of your head how many miles did you fly last year and about how many hotel room nights did you put in?
1: Uh, I think I flew just over 150,000 miles last year um, and I want to say I did 146 nights in a hotel or other so, so you are the double diamond platinum executive
0: class pretty much on every flight that you take and uh, and all that stuff. It's it's an underappreciated kind of part of the business, and I think a lot of people don't really think about it. They think about if they're outside the ropes, oh, wouldn't it be cool to go to the Valero Texas Open or the Masters or Bay Hill or Pebble Beach? And, and yeah, it is. It's also time when you are putting in – you, you've got to be able to like I can to some degree, but you've got to be worse. You can start to recognize the wall art in the Marriott's or the Hilton's, I don't know if you're a Marriott or a Hilton guy or whatever it is, but like you start to recognize them. They all blur together. You know, you, you, you start to think about towns as there's the hotel, the one or two places where you probably always stay because proximity to golf course proximity you know, to a restaurant or two that that happens to be an annual favorite, but, but they all start to blend together and the, the novelty, it wears off a lot quicker than other people think, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, when when this all gets by you know we'll all be itching to get out there but you know when you're at event 36 of the calendar year sometimes it'll uh start to build up but you know luckily we have some really good players and and really good team members so uh you have obviously the events you look forward to more than others and Mm -hmm. you know the travel woes of being stuck in an airport or driving uh through the night to try to get to an event on time because you missed a connection uh those are weeks where there it's not all uh not as much happy, fun. <laughs> happiness.
0: Yeah, exactly. So walk me through a typical week for you. Let's let's start out on Sunday because I know your week really starts by and large on Sunday, but walk me through a typical week. Had we been going to the the Texas Open this week, what would you anticipate your week to have been?
1: Yeah, so normally um, you know, traveling from California, a majority of the PJ Tour season is east of us, so we're losing a few hours so normally i'll i'll leave my house anywhere between 4 a.m and 6 a.m sunday morning uh travel to whichever event we're going to um you know get to the hotel turn the laptop on start working out the list of any any issues that we kind of knew from the week before Mm -hmm. uh i'll be watching the tournament double checking some statistics um looking at the field list see who's in who's out and make sure we're all prepared then we normally go in about 7 30 in the morning monday mornings uh our our team will meet on the van we'll go over anything that uh is pressing for the week go through the field list double check every uh everything from that our ball shoe glove team will be in the locker rooms getting everybody set up with you know um pro v1 pro v1x putting gloves in the lockers hats and that's when players will start showing up um players that didn't play the week before might've missed the cut, you know, where we're starting to work on their equipment. Right. Um, and we'll do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, about one, two o'clock. Our van will close up kind of depending on how far away the next event is, you know, a week like this is next week would have been the masters. Mm-hmm. So the van would have closed up about one, two o'clock cause it has to drive from San Antonio to Augusta. And then, um, those of us that are traveling. So I'll travel back to California that night, right? Thursday, I'll be in the office. I'll have Thursday morning meetings with R and D to discuss anything that has come up from the, from the week or future projects we're working on. And then I'll normally be back in Friday meeting with sales and marketing and uh, doubling down with R and D or occasionally, depending on the time of year, we'll have players in TBI. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll be out there with them working on their equipment. So, you're in a pretty unique position.
0: Number one, that's a very full week, which really, if people are listening, means that you're taking essentially one day off per week. Saturday, I would imagine you sort of try and block off as like, that's your day. Because if you're going to be leaving the house that early on Sundays, um, maybe you hit the hotel gym or whatever and get a couple hours to yourself when you're not actually in the air and traveling. But that's that's a six-day-a-week job. Um, but it affords you a very unique perspective into two worlds when it comes to golf equipment. Number one, meeting with the R and D team, um, Marnie Inez, Stephanie, um, you know, up there in, in the, in the wood dissection itself. And then also with players means that you're, I would imagine are some type of a conduit between the people who design and build golf clubs and the people at the highest levels, um, who are using them. So how do you take what, for example, Stephanie Luttrell and her wood team are working on and give them feedback from PGA Tour players like Webb Simpson and Adam Scott and, and Justin Thomas. How? Wh- when do you sort of tell them, this is what I'm hearing on the PGA Tour and this is what they're looking for from us? Is it an individual player thing or do you wait to sort of hear trends and then convey the overall trend?
1: So, Steffi and I will meet every week. Um, so, you know, I have that that unique uh, opportunity, but it's also very helpful for an R and D team because they're already designing the next next driver mm-hmm. fairway wood. They're always well out ahead of everything. Sure. So I can't withhold information because I can't let them get too far downfield on something that might not oh, work yeah. for us. Yep. So you know we, we will will always help control the lanes from a from a tour feedback you know they have to design clubs for a lot of players but i'm going to bring feedback every week uh and it might be me taking in information from 10 15 20 players in my head and consolidating for him or it might be hey this is kind of what adam scott is looking for in a shape or uh jordan spieth really likes uh when the shape is kind of like this or hey we're looking to need a little bit more launch and then every week i just say give me faster 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 which mm-hmm you know, in our TS line they delivered in spades and I think that's why we're the most played driver on the PGA Tour right now.
0: So, let's talk a little bit about irons because last year was an iron year for Titleist. And when I refer to for those people at home who may not be aware, Titleist generally speaking is running on 2-year product cycles, which means that a, a product will be brought out to the PGA Tour and, and then a few months later typically, uh it's brought to retail. Last summer, Titles brought out a number of irons. So we're talking about from the standard irons being T100, 200, 300. And then the T100S and T400 came out later. But then you also had the 620MB, 620CB. In addition, there were some utility irons, T500 and T510. Those are also out on the PGA Tour. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the seeding process. And when new product comes out, you guys are really busy, as I understand it, because you're trying to translate players and what they like to what I'm assuming is the most logical equivalent setup in the new product and then present it to them. How
1: does that work? So it's going to vary player to player, but you know, a big part is we go with the Bob Vokey mantra that we have access to the best testing group on the planet, which is the PGA tour. So, some of our players are exposed to this product during, uh, its development, okay. you know, so that's prototypes. You look at, yeah, so we take advantage of Charlie Hoffman who lives here in San Diego area. So he plays two of our hybrids. So he's normally will come out to TPI. He'll hit prototypes, talk about shape. Um, you know, when you look at Webb Simpson and Justin Thomas, you know, two of our highest profile MB players, they're going to, get a lot of trump cards on that product line on what they want the look of uh how they want the soul what the shape is you know uh so we're always using those players for feedback on one look sound but also performance is what do you want your clubs what makes you better Mm -hmm. is a big thing that we are always looking at for players is you know just thomas wants to be better tomorrow than he is today. And our goal is to be part of Team Thomas, and how do we help that happen? You know, the interesting one early on was some of the early prototypes of the T100. You know, Justin Thomas, who everybody knows is a classic Blade player, guy,
0: yeah,
1: um, was looking for a little help in the 4-iron, and, you know, a perfect example. So we spend two, three, four years developing that whole iron line. And we're at our commercial shoot and part of our commercial shoot is I get to I get 30 to 60 minutes with each player to work on their stuff. So some of these guys we had worked with prior on some of this stuff, but we're one trying to expose them to our entire lineup, but two actually work on their on their product. And, you know, one of the things we do is we look through statistics and, you know, Justin had kind of mentioned he was having a little issues in the four area, but at the same time, uh, we looked at his statistics and, and there was definitely, here's a guy who's top of his game in uh stroke scan approach from every yardage, except when he gets outside, uh, around 200, 225 yards. So statistically there was a glaring gap there that we could help. So we had a T100 built up for him and he was like, okay, I'm taking this home. And we're like, Justin you can't it's it's not out yet it's not on a conforming list and I get to be the person that then goes back and calls R&D as soon as we're done with the fitting and go how fast can this be live yeah and the sales and marketing team goes well we're not launching for another month and I'm like well we're gonna have to because Justin <laughs> Thomas needs this golf club
0: our marquee guy is basically gonna put this out there um, and unless we want him to be in trouble with the USGA and the PGA Tour we, we, we need to act now
1: Well, and there's big plans. I mean, Josh Talgy is always working on these um, uh, marketing plans around it, but our goal is to help players play better, and I'm not going to leave something in the quiver that will help Justin Thomas play better.
0: Well, the last thing you want is for Justin Thomas to know that there's something that will help him play better that you or someone from Titles is going to say, you can't have that. But that that would be a problem. I think that they would get it. I think that you hear stories about, oh, guys – tried something in a commercial shirt has tried something that was in the prototype phase and they wanted to put it in the bag right away. Um, and I, and I believe that those things happen, but the last thing you want to do is communicate to a guy who's been a top five player in the world for the last three or four years that we've got something that's going to help you. You can't have it yet. Um, that's, that's not what you, you want in your job description in the least. Um, Talk to me a little bit about where there through the seeding process with all those new irons the last time. Were there any surprises? Were there any players that you anticipated? Oh, well, this guy will probably transition into here, but they actually zagged when you intend when you thought that they were going to zig into some of the new stuff.
1: Uh, I mean, I think Justin Thomas would have been that that example. I mean, to go to, to something like a T one and a four iron where he used to be an MB mm-hmm. four iron user. You know, and I think just speaks to the performance and the look of the T one hundred. Off the top of my head, I think a lot of the other ones, again, were are using player feedback a lot. You know, I think with Jordan Spieth right. and T one hundred, as I semi joke, it's the design by Jordan Spieth iron, and it really started almost four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marnie was at L A. with with Jordan, obviously having a lot of success with with AP two. Was how do I make this better? And he talked a lot about the soul, a lot about the looks. And, you know, for Marnie to make a really players-looking package with that level of performance, it, it, it's uncanny. You know, what that T100 is on tour, and it shows that it's the most plate iron on tour.
0: So this is going to be a little bit of a... This is a two-part question I've got, but when when did you start on the PGA Tour working with, with tour players?
1: So I was working for a Kushnet. so for 14 years. So about 10 years ago, I was working on the Cobra Tour van uh, as, a, as a driver and a tech on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I transitioned from there to working for Titleist on, at the time, the Nationwide Tour, uh, then web.com. And then I've been full-time on the PGA Tour four years now.
0: So I knew that you had been out there for for longer and had some different sort of Experiences at at, at very, very high levels, obviously. Do you think the players have become, and when do you think it started, they've become much more open to adding driving irons or secondary irons to their set? And what I mean by that is that you guys obviously at this point have um, the 500 and the 510, the utility irons. But there are a lot of players, and you mentioned Justin Thomas, you know, with a four iron, which is a different club than he has for the rest of his irons. I think a lot of people would be surprised how many tour pros, big name tour pros, split their sets and use a blended set of something in the longer irons, uh, maybe a two, three, four in that area, and then go something else through the mid and the short irons. Um, what, what do you think sort of caused that trend? And do you think, how much do you, more do you think players now are, are open to that concept? Because you don't see many guys with the old setup of three through pitching wedge all being identical at this point.
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple parts to it. I think one, the the advent of um, of launch monitors and statistics has provided players um, a better avenue. You know, we always talk a lot about teams. You know, we're part of Team Cantley, we're part of Team Spieth, mm-hmm. where they have swing coaches, they have statistics, they have fitness people. Is w- we're a part of that, and when we take a look back, it's harder to tell a player 10 15 years ago ah, you're not the world's greatest long iron player because it was very subjective where now we can back out shot link data Mm -hmm. and show a player and then we can go to a launch monitor and show them why so it's harder for a player to kind of go no i'm i'm pretty good with this mb3 iron so that's part one and then part two is options you know Go back 15 years ago where there wasn't, you know, we have two utility irons in the U500 and the U510, mm-hmm. but we also have T200 long iron and play on tour. We have T100 long iron play on tour and, you know, 620 CB. So I got a lot in a player category um, that create really high launch in a 510 and, and just a little help in a 620 CB that I can find the best for different players.
0: So this is going to sound like such an obvious question. Is it proximity to the hole, the key statistic when you're talking about things like that and, you know, hey, you know, player whoever, we we could make you something or maybe we should address a a shortcoming you've got in this specific area of the game. Are you looking at proximity to the hole rather than strokes gained, which which has really increased in popularity over the last two or three years? I think the general public and golf fans out there get what strokes gained is about. But I would imagine you're talking now about, proximity to the hole, yes?
1: Yeah, so the, the big thing is, you know, you can break it out into simply as greens and reg. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can break it out into proximity. You know, I think if you look at stroke gain approach, it's really a powerful statistic to look at who's the really good ball strikers on the PGA Tour and thus uh, players who are, are leading in the FedEx Cup and, and contending week in and week out. Mm-hmm. So we we want to look at all the statistics holistically and again when you look at a player like a justin thomas you can spend a lot of time trying to find a place to improve because he does so much so well yeah you know but the bigger the picture you can look at the more you can look at where is someone ranked to their peers and then you can define uh different peer categories allows you to kind of narrow that even further
0: so one of the things that has changed, I think, significantly over, say, the last five to seven years are golf balls. Now, golf balls are in the news for lots of different things, um, but I think the overarching trend, certainly at retail, is the trend towards softer, lower compression golf balls. And for recreational players, that can mean a host of different things, but as golf ball manufacturers, Titles being the biggest one out there, have... Made modifications and changes to golf balls, even at the elite level. You're finding that compressions and some feel um, is going towards softer. Forty Pits is the lead guy for Titleist on the PGA Tour when it comes to golf balls. How much do you work with him to make sure that, from an iron or a driver standpoint, you guys are trying to make equipment that suits the player's eyes? They've got to like what they see. That's that's the first hurdle. But then they've also got to like how it feels and sounds. And it's one thing to build an iron or build a driver with certain qualities or characteristics. But if the golf ball changes, the thing they're actually striking changes, gets softer, gets firmer, whatever, that's going to affect the sound and the feel. How much do you have to sort of keep up with Fordy and his team and where they're going this year, next year, further on down the line?
1: So uh, having 40 pits and Jeff Byers are a huge advantage that we have at Titleist um, because we They'll have a similar job. Into what I'm doing is I'm going back to the office on Thursdays and Fridays to meet with R&D. Forty's going back to the office Thursdays and Fridays and meeting with R&D. So it allows a lot of crossover where Forty and I can both be with a player, and then when we leave, we're both taking that information back to whether it's our golf ball team or our golf club team. You know, our our golf balls performance is is so great in 40s. I think that the easiest to see is the amount of conversion they get in a golf ball year in, year out uh, when they launch a new Pro V1, Pro V1X is they're getting that feel and performance for players pretty dialed in. And we're always going to work with a golf ball from the hole backwards. So I always tell 40, you know, we're never going to have a player change golf balls because a driver, because with SureFit Hazel and SureFit CG and and having three different driver heads to work with is I can make a driver launch higher, launch lower, spin more, spin less, significantly more easy easy than he can to get a ball flight and feel that a player wants, whether it's a V or an X. Well, we're always going to defer to him and work up through their irons. And then I think, you know, take a Webb Simpson's a perfect example. He's a V mm-hmm. player because he likes – A little bit more penetrating flight with his irons, but likes that little softer cover feel, you know, where he then plays two hybrids and two fairway woods. So to get the trajectories he wants at the top end of the bag, we're taking advantage of equipment we have to allow him to have the short game feel and low iron uh, trajectories that he wants.
0: So let's get into it. You you mentioned Webb Simpson. Uh, We've talked a little bit about Justin Thomas. I want to back up a little bit to JT. You said that he's got a T one hundred four iron in the bag. Why? Let, let's talk about if you can give me like you know the the clubs that are typically in his bag. Uh, give me a little bit of shaft info if you happen to to recall it. Um, and then why isn't he in a hybrid? If he needs a little bit more performance from four iron, um, one of the things that I've learned is that as you said, you've got a lot of different arrows in the quiver. Why would a player like him not choose to go with a hybrid where? he's got uh essentially a, not a driving iron but a different type of iron. So what let's let's start with what he's got in the bag.
1: So in the bag for for Justin is uh he plays our TS3 driver and a 95 with a ZF60 shaft. Uh 3 wood is TS315 with a Tensei Blue 80 and then he typically about He's up to probably about 80-90% of the time now is uh, a 915 FD, 18-degree 5-wood uh, with a Fujikura VC 9.2 in it. He will occasionally put in a U500 2-iron mm. for the right course. Um, again, this is kind of where you can see Justin's game change from when he w- was uh, at Alabama into his early years as a pro to now. The two iron used to be in maybe 75% of the time, and now it's only in 10 or 20% of the time. Interesting. Why is that? So, part of our goal is to keep up with a player's swing changes. So, as Mike Thomas and Matt Killen and Justin work together, you know, the one thing you've seen in Justin's game is, you know, he used to be up four, five, six degrees on the driver and an okay iron player. I think what you've seen now is he's up one or two degrees with the driver, but he's an elite iron player.
0: So, um, so let me interrupt he... you for just one second for people out there who may not be totally down with what JJ is talking about. He's, he's referring to attack angle and attack angle on the driver. When you tee it up, you can be hitting actually up on the ball. Um, in this case, it sounds like four or five degrees. The advantage of hitting up is that you're launching the ball a little bit higher Um, most recreational players, even with the driver are hitting actually down slightly, sometimes two, three, four degrees. That's a really good recipe for your irons. Um, but for your driver, you typically, most of the time, would you agree you want to be hitting up a little bit JJ?
1: Yeah. If you want to maximize distance, hitting up is going to do that for you. Um, you know, the one thing you want to always be careful of is if it bleeds into your iron game, we're now, um, your swing is changing, and you're affecting your iron game, or sometimes players have a hard time controlling direction. Mm-hmm. you know I think if you look at the early years of Justin, you know at at that point he had moved down to a seven five driver hitting way up on it and and could really bomb it, but you really saw so so wedge play and so so iron play, and now if you look at him statistically he he is world class elite wedge iron player. And so we've moved his driver up to create launch uh, and still keep him at an elite distance, um, but at the same time work within his swing. And that's part of one of the things that we want to do as part of the team is as a player's swing is changing, I'm in regular contact with Jimmy Johnson, Mike Thomas and Justin on, hey, we're making this shift. Okay, let's have let's get on that wave and modify the equipment to match.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it makes perfect sense. I, in one of the sort of, I'm not going to say secrets that's out there, but one of the realities is that you need, in some, in some cases, a blend of two swings to be ideal. The hitting up um, portion when you have the ball teed up, specifically with driver, because most of the guys peg it pretty low with fairway woods or hybrids if they are going to tee them up uh, off the tee. And then a downswing, Um, something that's going to compress the ball to be a little bit more effective with irons. And it sounds like Justin is transitioning from what you're describing to more of an overall iron style um, swing. Getting better, as you said, with his irons and wedges requires a different attack angle, um, a more downward negative attack angle, whereas if you're looking to purely maximize distance off the tee, you want that up attack angle, which doesn't necessarily translate well to your irons. Um, What would happen uh, to his game, or what type of performance would you expect for him to get if he did decide to get into some TS hybrids? Why is he not a TS hybrid player?
1: So, the simplest answer here is, is scar tissue. Uh, Justin played a hybrid in college, and when you look at it, hybrids specifically in that day and age where they weren't like a TS3, where we had adjustable CGs, you could be in that situation where he tows a hybrid and it, and it just wanted to turn over, go left a little bit too much because the hybrid's going to have a little bit bulge and roll compared to a U 500 that has a flat face. And then the CG is closer to the face versus a hybrid. So Justin still has a little of that scar tissue from back then. Um, He can do so much with his five wood. Uh, You can see him launch it real high. He can hit it real low and then, allows us, we get so much performance in the T100 and the four iron that he doesn't necessarily need the hybrid at this point. Uh, performance wise, we've had him hit TS3 hybrid. He hits it great. Um, but he still has a little of that scar tissue from mm-hmm. from years ago with it. Well, I think that's that's pretty typical for a lot of
0: guys who maybe would benefit from a hybrid or where it might otherwise make sense. The stigma has always been, or I shouldn't say always, the stigma has been traditionally hybrids go left. I hear manufacturers tell me constantly that they're working to make a hybrid for better players that won't go left. It wants to go right. They'll do things to either open the face or cosmetically do things to make it look like the face is open, even if it's if it's going to be rather neutral. Um, do, is that the, the overall stigma still on hybrids is they want to scream left and they want to go left for better players?
1: Yeah, and I think, it is a little bit of a stigma versus the reality. You look at a Webb Simpson place two, you look at Charlie Hoffman place two hybrids Um, and you look at them and they're statistically very good from farther away from the hole compared to their peers because they have a high launching product that allows them to um, really attack greens from yardages that other players might get a little flatter ball flight from. Plus hybrids work really well out of the rough. So from us with a, you know, a TS3 hybrid, we have an adjustable CG. So if we do get a player that tends to tow it, uh, we can move the CG out there and prevent that, that overdraw. You've mentioned
0: Webb Simpson a couple times now. Webb to me is fascinating in that he has a blend of, especially in the wood category, some, some. What we refer to as inline product, the newest stuff that Titleist offers, as well as some older stuff that's in there as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about what Webb has in his bag right now and, and why it's there?
1: So Webb's driver is our TS3 105. Um, then he moves to a TS2 uh, 165 in his three wood, and then then we move into some older product in a 913 FD18, <laughs> then a 913 HD 21 hybrid. And then a 915 HD 23 and a half hybrid. And the big thing for Webb is yardages. You know, him and Paul work really, really intensely on knowing exactly how far something goes. And and, and Paul makes some really kind of cool observations about it that every club Webb has needs to have a couple shots.
0: Not, let me interrupt so, you again. So Paul being Paul Tesori, Webb's caddy.
1: Yes. Um that, you know, they kind of consider themselves carrying 20 or 22 clubs. So, you know, they have to have the big three wood. They have to have the little three wood. They have to have the, you know, hybrid that launches real high, goes real far, the stock one, and then kind of a low one to take something off it. So when we give them something new, Webb gets excited, and then we get in a situation where we added ball speed to a TS3 hybrid and we picked up five or seven yards, well, you can see Paul go, well, that's not going to fit. And instead of starting over, you know, we got to kind of work within the confines, um, and kind of make everything work. You know, the first time Webb put the TS2 fairway wood in was, uh, sea Island. And Webb and Paul sent me this great video from coverage where they're like, okay, we think we might be able to get to the front on this. And they just caught it right on the screws. Um, the three wood carried all the way up to onto the green and just trickled off the back edge and you just see Webb's eyes get big and go, wow, this three wood's got some firepower. So, you know, adding a little spin to it and going, love everything the feel the look the sound but just you know being able to give a little bit more spin to to make sure he didn't have a 3 wood that that was too far in the gapping off everything else
0: so what you're describing actually for recreational golfers makes a lot of sense but i could understand also when you're bringing out new product from titles i don't know if if frustrating is is maybe the appropriate word but to have and i've spoken with this and i've written about this in golfweek.com a lot of different times logical gapping and knowing your true distances is, is absolutely critical if you want to play good golf. And it sounds like what Webb and Paul have done is that they really know what their numbers are. And if you introduce a new club in there, that's great. But it is going to have an effect on the gapping to the club above it and the club below it. Now, obviously, the driver, you'd love to hit the driver as far as you can accurately. So you don't really have to worry about that one as much. But it does have an effect, for example, then on his three-wood. Because if there's a really big gap between the driver and the three-wood, that can lead to some precarious decisions off the tee. Because if you know you can carry a bunker, for example, with a driver, but it's going to risk going through the fairway. But the three-wood goes right into the heart of that bunker. You're going to have to pick the lesser of two evils. The ideal situation is knowing... You know how far you're gonna hit each one of your clubs and and being able to work within that is in some ways, is it frustrating, I guess, or you, you sort of get where I'm going with this, but the logical gapping makes a lot of sense, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I think the one thing to understand for the tour player is you know, these players are 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 big, they're strong, they're fast, and they they hit the ball really hard. You know, you look at how much time and effort in this day and age players are putting into their fitness. You know, and very few are are traveling without a uh, a fitness and crew. And, you know, look at how much the performance trailers on tour get used every day. Mm -hmm. You know, they're still using 14 clubs, so the gapping gets unique. So, you know, for you and I, whose ball speed might be 150, well, Adam Scott's ball speed's in the 180s. So his driver carry is, you know, 300 yards. But he also needs to be able to carry a ball 80 yards with a lob wedge. So you take the putter out, the lob wedge out, the driver out. We're down to 11 slots that we have to fill for his bag Mm -hmm. where, you know, you and I might be able to get away with 10-yard gappings. He can't because he can't fill fill everything. If he was able to use an unlimited amount of golf clubs, then you would see a lot different setups in players' bags. You might see him carry – a hybrid as well um, for specialty situations, but they're limited to that 14 slots. So once you take driver, putter, lob wedge out, those 11 slots have to get unique. And that's the other standpoint as these players have gotten bigger, stronger, faster on uh, the ball speeds have gone up because of that. You're in a situation where you have to have clubs do more things.
0: Yeah. It's especially not uh, obviously uh, they, they all need to do special things, but at the top and the very bottom of the bag, I think there is a lot of stress right now for the major tour players because as they do get bigger, stronger, faster, they're hitting everything farther. As you get from nine iron into pitching wedge and then through the wedges, all of a sudden the gapping gets really important. And, and we already sort of discussed the gapping at the very top of the bag, driver three wood and then sort of working into there. But um, if you get players who are just hitting the ball so much farther and even if you weaken the lofts, for example, of a nine iron, or they go with a weaker lofted pitching wedge, again, because they're hitting so far. Invariably, as you said, you've got 13 clubs and a putter, 14 clubs total. Um, there are going to be some gaps, and you're going to have to pick your poison. And I think, and would you agree, that most of the guys would like the gaps to be tighter as they get into their wedges, more of Aaron Dill's territory, but you sort of bleed into that. Um, and they will go with larger gaps at the top of the bag, because if they need to shave something off, they can always grip down, maybe a half inch or an inch. They can play a cut, which generally takes a little bit of the roll out of play. That's usually the, the quandary that they've got to sort of work out, right?
1: Yeah. And I think the big thing is that's part of the other reason you're seeing utility irons and different bag mixes is as I, to, to your point, take something off a club is I'm going to lose some club speed. I'm going to then lose ball speed. And when I lose ball speed, I lose height. So if I don't have a club that goes high enough, and let's say I use an MB3 iron that is borderline too low at the get-go, and I take something off it, it's going to go even lower. So, you know, I always am a big believer for a lot of our guys is their stock shot should go right near kind of the top of the window and then allow them to work down, whether it's, you know, taking something off or, or flighting a, a golf shot is, By allowing the heights to stay up, it gives them more flexibility because to a certain extent, they can hit it a little bit harder and get a little bit more out of it. But more often than not, they're bringing that down and taking something off a shot, and then you're seeing the flight come down a little bit.
0: Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit about Jordan Spieth. Um, If I'm not mistaken, Jordan is in, he's a TS3 with the driver, Correct. Correct. And then what, what else does he have, if he, if he can just sort of discuss and walk us through the, the clubs and why they're there?
1: So he then goes to a 915F, 15-degree uh, 3-wood. He is typical. He's probably in the 60% range of using an 818 H221 hybrid, but he also will move in a U500 3-iron. Then he goes to a U500 4-iron, and then T100 irons, and then SM8 wedges.
0: So sort of a a little bit of a split there he's he's carrying um what I think a lot of people would consider to be sort of the modern setup the driver um the three wood and then a hybrid driving iron combination something like that we see quite a bit of that um talk a little bit about if you can how Jordan Spieth played a role in the development of T100 you said that he was one of the players that was it's the Jordan Spieth iron he had been previously in AP2 um Explain to me a little bit about what types of feedback you wanted from Jordan in the prototype and in the final sort of process and, and what role he played.
1: Yeah, so, you know, really big from him was a lot of the aesthetic opportunities. You know, if you look at the the top line of a, of a 716 to a 718 uh, were AP2 where Marty put just a little chamfer on it. There was still comments from Jordan as I'd like this a little thinner. You know, every time we come out with a blade, Jordan picks it up and goes, I want to play these. And then he miss hits one and loses yardage and goes, <laughs> Well, that's why I play T100s. I have the same so, feeling. <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of it and, and the challenge to Marnie and his team was how do you make something look like the, I guess you could say, the aspiring blade player, but give it performance, forgiveness, launch yeah. uh, from. And, you know, in, in some of the materials and, and co-forgings that Marnie and his team put into T100, I think you give it to a player, and I don't think we've had one tour player look down at it and go, that's an ugly iron. They all go, wow, that looks really clean. It's nice and compact. And then you hit it, and it gives you all the performance and then some versus an AP2. So I think that's why you've seen so many players. Um, it's probably the most requested iron we get from players not playing our irons, coming on the van saying, hey, I saw so-and-so's T100s, can I try some?
0: So one of the last things I want to bring up with you, because I appreciate how much time you've already given me, but getting really nerdy and deep into the woods, turf interaction for tour pros is a big deal. It's not something that recreational players talk about very much, which I, I get that. They're worried about actually just hitting the ball solid. I think a lot of players who have a handicap of, you know, and certainly anything in the double digits. They they just want to hit good shots more often. And and that's as it should be. But when you talk to players like Jordan Spieth or um, Justin Thomas, if I talk to Adam Scott, the way that the golf club enters the ground, works through it, and then exits, ideally it sounds like they want it to happen quickly, um, is a major part of how they're going to adapt into irons. I've had long discussions, for example, with Jason Duffner about this. He's very particular about the way that the bottom of the club is shaped and how it works. Explain to people why that's so important for tour pros. And and when you get into, for example, T100 in Jordan, um, why that sort of is built the way it's built.
1: Yeah, the big thing for a tour player is consistency. So when we're fitting a player at the tour level, one of the big things we're looking at is the delta between the highest launch shot, the lowest launch shot, the highest spin, the lowest spin, the highest ball speed, the lowest ball speed. Because if a player mishits a shot, or let's say we hit 10 shots and they're all fairly solid is, we need that delta to be very small. So the big thing is that if a player is slightly high spin or a slightly low spin or slightly high launch or slightly low launch, that matters and we want to change that where we can. But at the same time, is if the player knows what's coming out, they can perform at a really high level, you know. Mm -hmm. So if that player knows exactly what's going to come out, given the atmospheric conditions at the time and the situation, that player can control what's happening. You know, I think the hard part for the amateur is they don't always know what's coming out one way or another, which is, you know, we take a lot from our Vokey team and Aaron Dill and Bob Vokey and Kevin DeSistro in that they know souls really, really well. And so you look at like our T300, our T200, even to an extent, where we build some forgiveness in those soles with some width and some camber so that that player that can't control impact as well, um, you know, where the shaft might lean sometimes or they might throw it, um, we can try to control that consistency. And then we also do it through face technology is that versus like our MB that is very, very thin, but we have just that little chamfer on the front for the average tour player who's leaning that about eight degrees forward uh, goes in and out crisply and they control where that ball is on the club face.
0: Chamfer is sort of like a pre-wear, isn't it?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, early in my career being able to spend time with Bob Vokey, he used to talk about uh, a club getting a player's signature. The more you hit an iron, you're literally going to wear the leading edge just because you're putting it through, you know, the dirt. And, A player's favorite day with a wedge is the day the grooves are shot. So Voke has spent a long, long time kind of perfecting how do I make that leading edge go in and out like it is at the end. And I think you look at our uh, MB, specifically in 620MB, that that's a very particular kind of shape that a lot of our tour players' blades would get like right when they're done. And so we're trying to put that in day one. So they have fresh grooves and everything performs out of the box.
0: So before I let you go, a couple quickies here on the more personal. note: Um, Favorite restaurant that you get to go to every year on tour.
1: Ooh, um, trying to walk through all the tour events real quick. Um,
0: well, let's put it this way. Okay, go ahead. What do you got?
1: I, I was going to say, I, I'm normally not the do-it-the-same-every-time person, so I always mm-hmm. like U.S. Open PGA because we normally are in a different city where we get to kind of hunt something new and different mm-hmm.
0: down. So is there, a, is, there, is there a specific spot, for example, like if you were going to be at the U.S. Open the last couple of years, what, we've been at Pebble Beach, a couple other places, what uh, any place that you would recommend for folks, if they're going to be in and around Pebble, that you like?
1: Uh, Let's see, a good Pebble spot... Um. Yeah, we normally we've actually this is probably even a better the uh last couple times we've been to pebble we've actually rented houses um <laughs> talk and about first world problems <laughs> uh, um well it's it's one of those that you know as hotel prices go up we, oh yeah we, it's it's viable
0: we do the same thing with, with at a couple different events every year we if we know we're going to have four or five people and the price gouging at the hotels is going to be enough it's it's easier just to get a house it is
1: y- yeah and You know, I I was going to say that's honestly one of my favorites is Hilton Head where we will do that. And Chris Tootin will go to the grocery store on Sunday night and then uh, throw a pot of chili together Monday morning and we get to come back. And, you know, when you're on the road, there's only so many restaurants you can do that you feel like a little home cooked meal with uh, a little chili. And uh, on those kind of crisp Hilton Head nights are, are kind of one of those perfect ones that are a lot better than a fancy dinner.
0: So I'll call out and say that my least favorite airport is um, Hartsfeld in Atlanta. It's I, I have always had to rush between connections, which is not necessarily the airport's fault. But I can tell you that the worst place of the day after the Masters is trying to get through the security line in Atlanta. Uh, it is torturous. You might not get that because you guys are long gone and you will be in Hilton Head, typically on the Monday after the Masters. Um I actually was planning on attending the Masters this year. I wasn't going to fly directly into Augusta. The prices were just, for me, coming out of Hartford too much. A little known secret for people is that you can fly into Charlotte, and it's almost to the mile, the same distance from Atlanta to Augusta as it is from Charlotte to Augusta. Um, Columbia, South Carolina is also a good play, but the flights just weren't going to work out that way for me. Is is there an airport? What, what is your favorite sort of regional airport? I know that you've obviously got to go in and out of San Diego, which is which is fine, but what are some of the ones that you're just like, oh, this place is a pleasure. This is a joy. Jack, the one in Jacksonville, actually, for the players is pretty good, too.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if there's any, you know, I'll, I'll go with San Diego being the joy because when you land in San Diego, you're you're, home. you're glad you were able to make it home. <laughs> yep. uh, you know, those summers in the Northeast, we have some uh, interesting, challenging, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, we were flying out of Newark back and the Northeast got hit with some pretty bad storms. And we got the call on Wednesday that the next flight available for us was Friday night, uh, <laughs> instead of Wednesday night.
0: Welcome to Jersey. So, uh,
1: Aaron Dill and I drove, I think six or seven hours to Pittsburgh through the middle of the night, caught a Thursday morning from Pittsburgh to San Francisco and San Francisco to San Diego, oh. um, to kind of get home Thursday. So there's always those challenges. I think, you know, the best airports are always the ones that you happen to get lucky at with your connections.
0: The, the ones that happen to be open and they don't lose their luggage. You you never check you never check a bag, I assume, right?
1: Uh often will, because on on Sundays we'll a lot of times if uh Aaron Dill bring pre-built wedges for players or mm. if I have any clubs or prototypes. Okay. You know, we'll we'll check a club glove. But yeah, if if at all possible, do not check.
0: Gotcha. Hey, listen, be safe out there in the oceanside area. I really appreciate you giving me JJ all this time. Some m- magnificent and very cool details about some big name players. So be well. And i look forward to hopefully seeing you on the PGA tour out there real soon.
1: Yeah, Stay safe, uh, David and uh, great catching up.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of, uh,